The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So continuing a reflection on the Satipatthana Sutta, the Buddha's instructions on mindfulness. And Satipatthana, that word, the translation I like for that word is the establishment of mindfulness. The, 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 the teaching is how we establish mindfulness. The word often used foundation um, sounds like something more of a noun, the foundations of mindfulness. And establishing mindfulness sounds more like an activity. And to me, that that's more descriptive of what's being offered in the Satipatthana Sutta is activities that will support the establishment of this quality of mind, this amazing capacity that we have to know what's happening in the present moment, that we can be aware, consciously aware of the sensations of the body in this moment, and of what's going on in our minds. We can be aware of thoughts, we can be aware of emotions, mind states, perceptions. We can be aware of being aware. We can be aware of knowing. It's, it's an amazing thing. And the Buddha in his journey recognize this capacity as central to the possibility of freedom, the possibility of freedom from stress, suffering, dukkha. I think it's amazing actually that he recognized this quality most of us in this quality in, in our lives, before we meet the teachings of the Buddha, we think of this capacity to be aware of what's happening as a capacity that helps us to further our desires. So we become aware of something and then we want to get it or get rid of it. So the capacity of being aware of what's happening in the present moment in and of itself is a neutral quality. It's neither wholesome nor unwholesome. It is just a capacity to be aware of what's happening in the present moment. I've used the example a number of times of the thief going through a house to steal things and how they may be very aware of their movements very aware of what they're doing. But the aim, the motivation of that awareness is to steal, 
It's not to be curious about what is it like to be stepping? What is it like to be reaching? And that's what we are exploring. That's what the Buddha discovered, that that curiosity about this moment's experience in and of itself, that's what's transformative. And I think it's amazing that uh, he discovered this very, it's an, in some ways a very ordinary part of our minds. It's an amazing part of our human minds, this capacity. And in some ways I think it's one of the things that distinguishes us from other animals is this capacity to be aware in the present moment. And it can be used in different ways. And so the Buddha recognizing this ordinary capacity could be used to be curious about what is this experience and that that could be transformative. And so these teachings, establishing mindfulness, the, the, the instructions offer us um, kind of like just simple descriptions of how to be attentive to this moment's experience. So in the first foundation, for instance, in the foundation around the body, one of the instructions is when breathing in, know that you're breathing in. So that's, again, that's pointing to just this moment's experience. You're breathing in, you know that you're breathing in. And the third foundation, the one that we've been exploring over the last few weeks, the instruction is to be exploring what's happening in our minds. And in a simple way, exploring what's happening in our minds in a very kind of broad and simple way. There's a lot going on in our minds. There's a ton of stuff going on in our minds. And, um, you know, all those thoughts, all those perceptions, the mind kind of putting things together and to a whole, the, the kind of way that we can look out into a room and perceive things and recognize things, all of that is happening in the mind. But the third foundation is much simpler. And it's really pointing to one of the foundational or core pieces that really helps or really um, uh, reveals, let's say, it really reveals why being aware of our present moment experience is transformative. This third foundation is asking us to know, recognize the presence or absence of greed, aversion, and delusion in the first half of the, of the, third foundation and that's all gonna, we're going to explore today is just this first half and a little bit more depth than we did last time. So it asks us to explore the presence or absence of greed, aversion, and delusion. And then in addition, this uh, curiosity about whether the mind is contracted or distracted. And so this is a really simple, in many ways, a simple aspect of what's going on in our minds. It's, it's, a, it's a foundational kind of aspect in that it tends to, when those things are happening in our minds, they tend to influence how we respond to the world. When we uh, begin to notice the presence of greed, aversion, and delusion. With this capacity to be aware, oh, 
greed is present in the mind. And that's the instruction. Let's see if I have a copy. I do. Yeah, it says, okay. One understands mind affected by greed as mind affected by greed. So again, pointing to, it's very similar to when breathing in, one knows one's breathing in. When there's greed arising in the mind, one knows there's greed arising in the mind. When, and then it's, um, understands a mind unaffected by greed as a mind unaffected by greed. And so again, knowing when greed is not arising in the mind, what that is like. And that difference, the difference between greed being present and greed being absent. What we discover when we know greed is present or aversion is present in particular, delusion being present is harder to kind of recognize. And we'll talk about that in a moment. When greed and aversion are present and we're just curious about, well, what is the experience of greed being present? What is the experience of aversion being present? Very quickly we see it's painful. It's painful for greed to be present. There's a tension in the body, a holding, a leaning, a kind of a, a kind of a squeezing. Similar with aversion, there's a tension, there's a resistance, there's a pushing away, there's a kind of bracing quality that can be happening. And so this curiosity about what's happening in the, in the mind in this simple way is greed or aversion, present or absent understanding what it's like when greed is present in the mind, understanding what it's like when aversion is present in the mind, we begin to see it's not a place that uh, leads to well-being. In and of itself, the experience of greed is not well-being. In and of itself, the experience of aversion is not well-being. Now, the story of greed, the story of aversion, what's kind of embedded in that you know, the kind of uh, momentum or motivation behind greed and aversion tells, tells us or is trying to confuse us, delude us. This is an aspect of delusion to delude us that if you follow me, if you follow my impulse, the impulse of greed, then you'll be happy. Then you'll be okay. If you follow the impulse of aversion, then you'll be okay. And that's what we've been led by for most of our lives before we meet this practice, are those impulses. Not seeing, not understanding how those impulses, when we follow them, when we're led by them, they, they may well give us a moment of satisfaction when we get what we want or we get rid of what we don't want, there may well be a moment of like, ah, got it. Okay. Feel okay. And, and that's a part of why they hook us because we do in that moment kind of get that little sense of, okay, I'm fine. But what they're also doing, what those qualities, as we are led by them, they're shaping, encouraging, inclining us to experience greed and aversion more. And so we're making a kind of a painful bargain. The mind's making a kind of painful bargain. Well, I'll put up with this greed or aversion as long as I can get that little tiny moment of okayness. 
And the delusion, some of the aspect of delusion that's happening is that we don't see the pain of the greed and the aversion because we're so focused on, I'll be okay when I get that thing or get rid of that thing. And that's a delusion you know, that we're not seeing the suffering that comes in the moment with greed or aversion. And so this simple instruction, understand the mind affected by greed as the mind affected by greed begins to uh, help the mind to recognize, wow, this experience of greed in the present moment, this is not helpful. And that recognition, being aware of that, this present moment experience of greed, this present moment experience of aversion, helps the mind to realize, to let go that letting go of greed and aversion might be a way. And this instruction to be curious about what's the absence of greed like? What's the absence of aversion like? Gives us a real contrast in the mind. When, the, when greed is not present in the mind, the mind is, is more open, present, here, available to respond, as opposed to be led by this urgent kind of pull to get something or get rid of something. And so the, this establishment of mindfulness with the, around this quality in particular with greed and aversion is a kind of a doorway in for us to look at the mind. Helps us to recognize what is and is not conducive to well-being. And as the mind begins to understand what is and is not conducive to well-being, the mind itself wants to participate. I mean, this is one of the great things about our human minds is that basically it wants to have us move in the direction of well-being. It's kind of a natural kind of orienting movement of our minds, but uh, the way we've learned through our lives has fundamentally confused that movement towards well-being, towards I'll, I'll be, the well-being will happen when I get something or get rid of something. That's what it's gotten confused by. But as that, as that kind of part of our minds that wants to move us to well-being begins to get different information, begins to have the mindfulness of greed and aversion as being not helpful, the mind itself starts to let go, to reorient. And so I think in this third foundation, it's a, it's a real, um, just a simple understanding of what is greed? How does it affect the mind? What is aversion? How does it affect the mind? What is delusion? How does it affect the mind? This is kind of the central piece to how wise mindfulness, this kind of mindfulness that is curious about present moment experience, how wise mindfulness is transformative. That we don't need to uh, necessarily make something happen. Just the simple recognition of this is the experience of greed. This is the experience of aversion. That is a learning that is happening. The mind is beginning to learn that this is not helpful and that 
there might be another way. And then seeing the absence of greed and aversion, understanding, oh, this is what it's like when aversion or greed is not present in the mind. That also is a learning, a a kind of a shaping or a recognition of, oh, there's another way. Wow, delusion had so obscured my, 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 my understanding that I didn't understand that there were other possible motivations for engaging in the world than greed and aversion. Those are also some, some delusions embedded in greed and aversion that basically greed and aversion when they're present will tell you I'm the only way that happiness is going to come. You have to, you have to follow me because there's no other motivation out there that's going to make you act. If I weren't here, you wouldn't care. Sometimes that's what those, those, um, qualities in the mind tell us. And and yet what we begin to discover with the absence of greed and the absence of aversion is there's a whole host of motivations available. Love and compassion, patience, wisdom are motivators that are not connected with greed or aversion. A delusion. So this third foundation really is a um, encouragement to understand this simple aspect of the mind. You know, it's a it's it it points to a couple of things. It's it, it encourages us to not re- non-reactively know that greed is a present is present in the mind. I mentioned this last week. It's the instruction is when greed is present in the mind, one understands greed is present in the mind. It's not when greed is present in the mind, figure out how to get rid of it or repress it. It's know it's there. And that capacity of mindfulness does the work. Capacity of mindfulness joined with wisdom does the work of transformation. There are other places in the suttas where the Buddha acknowledges that sometimes noticing that greed is present in the mind, it's not so simple to just say, oh, greed is present in the mind. And we get hooked by it. We get caught by it. And there are other places where the Buddha does point to strategies for navigating it. But in this instruction on establishing mindfulness, the Buddha is really pointing to just, can you be aware of what's happening in this moment? And if not, if, if that the power or the motivation or the kind of momentum we could say, if the momentum of that, of what's happening is stronger than our capacity to be present for it, there are other teachings that support how to navigate that. How to let go, how to redirect the attention, things like that. But this teaching in the foundation or the establishment of mindfulness is really just a very pure kind of, we establish mindfulness by being aware of what's here. And it doesn't matter what's arising, we can be aware of it. And there's a vast difference between knowing the understanding that greed is present in the mind and being led by greed when greed is present in the mind. Those two things are vastly different. And we experience the difference when we are present 
there's a kind of a, a sense perhaps when we recognize, oh, what's happening is that the mind is, is reacting right now. It's a burst to what's here. When we notice that and we can be aware of that, at times there's a, a shift or a sense of space that occurs around that greed or aversion. And there's a sense of, oh, that's what's going on. And we, we realize or see that we don't have to uh, be afraid of the greed or aversion when it's held in the mindfulness. We, we do experience the unpleasantness of it, the, 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 the suffering in a way that is happening around it. But the mind that's holding it is not suffering, can be in that state of not suffering. And so we begin to feel the difference between knowing, understanding greed, aversion present in the mind and between when greed and aversion are present in the mind and we are being uh, led by their energy, caught by their view and belief that you have to follow me. I'm the only way. So the, this third foundation, so we could talk about it in, in terms of an emotional, kind of looking at our emotions, but it's simpler than that in a way. Just greed, aversion, delusion, contraction, distraction. So in exploring experience from this perspective of the third foundation, the uh, we don't have to identify in particular the the, um, the specific emotion that's present, and so for instance, anger, fear, irritation, annoyance, all probably have a flavor of that aversive quality. But aversion itself is more just this like separation. We could say that the, the kind of main quality uh, that aversion, sometimes one of my teachers, Sayada Utejaniya, talks about getting to know the job descriptions of, of what's going on in our minds, the, the mind states that happen. And um, as I did an exploration around aversion, just the, the quality of aversion, not the whole like range of emotions around aversion. It's just aversion. It's like, oh, what the, what the job description of aversion is, is to separate us. To separate us from something that's unpleasant. In fear, that separation is a, I'm getting out of here. In anger or hatred, that separation is destroy. <laughs> you know, get rid of that thing by, you know, separate from it by getting rid of it somehow by destroying it in some fashion. But the basic quality is the separation, this sense that being in the presence of that unpleasant thing is not okay, and there's got to be some way to, to get rid of it, either by myself getting out of here or by destroying it some way. Or, and that could be convincing it to change, too. You know, that's another, another flavor of that. So the, the exploration around um, this third foundation is, is really just a simple, what is the basic quality in the mind with greed and aversion? Can we recognize that? 
greed is kind of like glue to stick to something. Aversion is separate from something. And so our various emotions may kind of have, um, you know, different aspects of, of these qualities. Um, you know, there are emotions, anger, for instance, is, can be a very complex interwoven experience. Thoughts about what's going on and the feelings of, you know, wanting to um, lash out all of that, the, 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 the delusion that's involved there, that this is going to make me feel better, I'll be okay, I'll be happy once this is got, when I get rid of this thing. So that the emotions are fairly complex. And I think in many ways, this, this foundation points to just a, a kind of a real, in terms of establishing mindfulness, to keep it simple. Just in, in these first three, in a way, the, the, the foundation of body, you know, the, the descriptions of working with the body. There's a, a lot of those, but, um, you know, like the description of working with the breathing. It's simple. Just one breathing in, no one's breathing in. But there's a lot of simplicity in the instructions, particularly in the first three foundations. The fourth foundation is another matter. And we'll get to that at some point. That one's got much more complexity to it. But I, in some ways, feel like these first three are kind of the encouragement to just get this continuity of being present going with what's happening in the body and in the mind. Be aware of body experience. Be aware of feeling of pleasant, unpleasant. Being aware of what's happening in the mind, presence or absence of greed, aversion, delusion. Another piece about this... um, third foundation is, um, you know, any pair, so that these pairs of quality is looking at the presence or absence of greed, aversion, delusion. Another way to think of simplifying in a way is that 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 pair, in any moment of experience, we can know whether greed is present or absent. Greed will be present or absent in every single moment of experience. And so it is that right there, that's almost a complete practice. We could just orient towards, well, is is greed here or is it not here? That's a kind of an orientation to looking in a particular way. But another way to to understand this or to... um, Think about this, think about the Satipatthana Sutta is that every single moment of experience, whatever's arising, there is something possible that we can be aware of from this perspective of wise mindfulness. So we don't have to choose what's happening. We can notice what's here, what's obvious in that receptive way that I was pointing to in the guided practice in the guided meditation, the possibility of just this flow of experience going through. So whatever's obvious, sometimes what's obvious might be breathing in and breathing out. Sometimes what's obvious might be wanting something to happen, a leaning towards, or what's happening might be a sense of ease, of the absence of greed or aversion. And so the, I think the Satipatthana Sutta itself um, 
supports either a receptive or a directed uh, uh, understanding of practice. I don't think we have to say it means one or the other. So we could, for a period of time, kind of orient through this lens of the third foundation, presence or absence of greed, presence or absence of aversion. And that kind of exploration in my, um, the, the uh, teaching of one of my teachers, Sayadaw Utejaniya, is really an exploration of the attitude of mind. We talked about this some um, last week. The attitude of mind that's present in relationship to what's happening. And this is a very supportive practice because we're often focused on what's happening and uh, miss that we are in relationship to that with some kind of idea or view, liking it, not liking it, wanting to control it, wanting to fix it, wanting to hold on to it. And so that, uh, that attitude of, of experience, we can orient to that. Uh, to be curious about that. What is the relationship? So that we could say would be a kind of a directing or kind of a curiosity about this third foundation. How am I in relationship to what's happening? So I'll just say, um, talked a little bit about greed and aversion uh, and a little bit about delusion as it's embedded in greed and aversion. Let me look at this. We have about 15 minutes left. Actually, I think, I think I'll stop there and let's have a conversation. Let's see what's here. And next week, I'll talk about delusion. Um, how we can begin to recognize delusion itself. It's, it's a powerful uh, force in our minds. It's one of the most powerful forces in our minds, delusion. Um, in that it kind of just obscures what's happening and takes us on a ride. Um, and, uh, and so it's, it's, uh, it, and, and people sometimes will say, well, it's not possible to be aware of delusion, but it is possible to be aware of delusion. And that can happen through an understanding of how delusion works first by hearing a little bit about how delusion works and a little bit of that description I gave around greed and aversion, the delusion that's embedded in greed and aversion, the view in aversion. I'm the only reason you're going to do something. I'm the only way you'll be safe is if you follow my energy. That's a delusion that's embedded in aversion. The energy, the delusion of aversion doesn't understand that the energy of compassion can take care of us. It feels like it's the only motivation. And so the, you know, that we can begin to understand how delusion works, we can begin to recognize it happening. And then we begin to see, um, we may begin to see, and this is kind of amazing when we see that delusion can fall away. So the presence and absence of delusion is quite startling when it falls away. You know, when delusion vanishes and we're clear, it's like, oh my gosh, this is so obvious. You know, I, I'm, I, how could I not see this? This is the way things are. And then delusion comes back and it's like, wow, I guess it's not so obvious. 
but the falling away of delusion then gives us the uh, ability to notice or recognize, yep, delusion is active in the mind. Delusion is present. So it is possible to see delusion. And, uh, you know, there's enough to say about it that I'd like to give it a whole session. So we'll talk about that next time. And um, yeah, any uh, thoughts or comments about what I've shared? Oh, let me, uh, let me make it possible for you to unmute yourselves. Okay, so you should have the capacity to unmute yourselves now if you wanna share something or offer something, ask a question. Hi, Kate. <laughs> I will. Hi. Um, so one of the things that I know, have been noticing um, is um, the last week or the week before, you know, you reminded us again to check out how we were with what we were noticing. Um, and I found myself um, in sitting uh, asking that question and the answer being, yeah, I'm fine. And then realizing that the reason that I was, that it kind of felt like whatever, you know, and the reason that it was so um, low key, shall we say, was because there was nothing happening. And so then I, you know, so I was looking at that and, and there was also this underlying, really when I looked then there was a disgruntlement with the fact that nothing was happening. <laughs> And then I noticed, oh, of course, because I want something big and interesting and exciting to be happening. And so I saw all of those things. And then um, there was like a resistance to hearing, hearing your voice just saying what, what's obvious, you know, and having what's obvious be like sound or whatever. You know, it was like, seriously, that's it, you know? <laughs> and then I also thought about one of my favorite Dharma talks I listened to of Steve's where, <clears throat> where he says something about um, most of the time insights don't come like wowie zowie. It's, it's years or months or years or whatever of watching the most mundane thing over and over and over again. So telling myself those two teachings, you know, and that, and, and kind of feeling like I, I go through that cycle over and over again, because there has a, there's a habit in my practice, I guess one could say of being in that space of like, huh, okay, blah, 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 you know, what's happening? Well, nothing, you know, okay. And then having to go through this thing of like, what are you not seeing? Uh -huh. You know, what's yeah. really And happening? that's a great question, actually. Um, you know, that what am I missing? What is, what am I not recognizing is a great question to help not only get at what's going on, but also the relationship. Because um, often that you know, what am I not seeing is something, some kind of relationship <laughs> that is right. obscured, you know, and you're really talking in the terrain of delu delusion in some ways, you know, that, that uh, kind of like, oh, everything's fine. But if you, if you notice, I mean, the way you said it, even there was a subtle um, uh, kind of uh, tone of voice yeah. in how yeah. you said it. And sometimes when we notice it in our minds, there's that tone of voice too, that we can kind of tune into it's like, oh, I'm fine with a little eye roll or something, you know? 
Exactly. Like whatever. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so that that's a kind of a clue. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, there's something that's not being seen. So what is it? And and in the investigation, you know, that um uh, uh well the um the disgruntlement that appeared, et cetera, you know, that, that seeing that. Now, what you point to, though, that having to see it over and over again, you know, it's a very, delusion is really strongly conditioned in our minds and that the idea of um, something needs to be happening that gets applied to our meditation, you know, that, that, that I think that's, it's bigger than probably more, more habitually ingrained in us than just in our meditation practice. But, you know, that in our lives, we feel like, you know, something needs to be happening. I need to be shaping something. I need to be doing something in order to get what I want or go where I want, you know, that that's so deeply ingrained. Of course, it's powerfully conditioned. Mm -hmm. So, you know, seeing, and and this points back to to what Steve was saying, like over and over again, you know, seeing this, this same pattern over and over again, it's like, it's like maybe little strands that, that rotting rope analogy that I love from the, from the Buddha, the, you know, that the, the, the rope that is the, the rigging of a ship that's sitting on the beach and is being washed by waves and sand and sun and just wearing away gradually. The Buddha describes this as partly how our practice unfolds, this gradual, gradual shift. So any moment that you see this again, well, notice the again, (laughs) you know, if it's, if the again has an eye roll or if it's more like, oh, again, (laughs) you know, know. how wonderful that I'm seeing this again. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, thanks, Kate. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, okay. Um, So you you made the comment about how noticing the presence or absence of greed, for example, could be a practice in itself. And it made me think about noticing the presence or absence of, for example, mudita. um, And when I thought about that, I thought, oh, that would be really easy to become a grasping. Yes. And so I'm just interested to hear your thoughts about cultivating sort of um, beneficial or wise um, states of mind, maybe is the right word, uh, with, in a way that is allowing, but not, as you're saying, you know, sort of feeling like, oh, got to fix this, got to make this different, you know. So there, there's a lot of stuff there. Yeah, and you know, the mind will grasp at anything. You know, it has no shame. <laughs> it, it doesn't care. You know, it'll grasp at things. That, you know, it'll grasp at beautiful things. Even you know, it'll grasp at mudita. It will grasp at mindfulness. Um, it will grasp at wholesomeness. And so you know, so the the um, I love the, uh, and I think I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, the simile of the raft. I love the Buddhist analogies, you know, they just really, they really get me. <laughs> um, the simile of the raft, which is pointing to how do we cross the flood? You know, how do we cross the flood, which is explicitly described as the flood of greed, aversion, and delusion in one of the places of this simile. Um, and, you know, it's said that we, you know, 
create, you know, we can create a raft to cross the flood and that raft is a, is a simile for uh, the, four, the Eightfold Path. And, you know, as I think about that simile, you know, as I'm on the raft in the middle of a, of a flood, um, I'm going to hold on to that raft. I am going to be, you know, it's like if I don't hold on to that raft, I may get swept away by the, the current. And so there is a kind of way, and, and, and it, it, it points to, this simile points to at some point, you know, the, the, the simile says, once you cross to the other side, um, is it useful to pick up that raft and carry it around with you because it's been useful to you to cross the flood? And the Buddha says, that's not useful. And of course, that's not useful. So you, you know, you set the raft adrift or you set it down and you go about your day on the other side of the flood. Um, and so he says, in that sutta, he says, and so, you know, there should be not, not clinging to the Dharma, how much more so not clinging to unwholesome states. And yet there is, you know, it's, it's, there's kind of a, he points to that teaching of not clinging to the Dharma once we've crossed the flood. And in my own experience, you know, that, that fortunately, in many ways, you know, the clinging itself the clinging itself, the, the wanting to hold on to something, when we notice it. So if you notice the mudita and you notice the clinging to it, you'll notice the pain of the clinging to it. And so it's kind of self-correcting. But there are times when we cling to something wholesome. I clung to my mindfulness when I was looking at self-hatred. I really, you know, it's like, okay, I can, I, can, I can be with this. And there was probably a little bit of, you know, maybe even a lot of striving and, you know, in that holding to the investigation. And, and yet I wasn't experiencing the suffering of the clinging to the mindfulness. I was experiencing, what, was, what was, I was experiencing was this is helping me to not be pulled under into the flood, into the self-hatred into that like quicksand holding on to this mindfulness is helping me not to be swept you know not to lose the the raft in the middle of the river basically and so um there will be times perhaps you know i love the simile it you know there may be times when the 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 current is so strong you have to hold tightly to the raft so that you don't drown and then maybe you hit a time when the current is much quieter and you can actually let go of the raft and steer a little bit, you know, actually, you know, use the raft, not holding on to it, but kind of resting on it. And that's kind of what happens. There are times when we are holding on to the Dharma for dear life to not be pulled into our unwholesome patterns and there are times when we overdo it you know when we we um uh, are holding on to oh i really like this raft when we don't need to be holding on to it anymore and that's when at that point you'll start feeling the suffering of the holding on you know when you're holding on really tight to that raft and there's no like current you'll start noticing the ache of the hands and the struggle there to hold on, which you might not notice so much when you're, you're holding on, you know, in the midst of that fast current. Very similarly in our practice. 
there's a kind of a way in which, yes, we may hold on to the Dharma and to wholesome qualities as a support for navigating the real struggles. And then that habit of holding on will begin to be uh, revealed and will uh, point itself out to us as suffering when the, the, uh, the greed and the aversion are, and the delusion are much quieter. And at that point, I often say, that's the point when we really do need to start looking at the suffering that's connected. And so the practice there is just to notice, oh, I'm clinging to mudita. <laughs> I'm wanting it to be here. And you'll feel, the, you'll feel the suffering of it. And you'll feel the difference between clinging to it and not clinging to it. The mudita is much more uh, resonant when we're not clinging to it. Much more kind of uh, nourishing when we're not clinging to it. And so we see the difference. And the mind begins to understand, oh, not clinging to mudita is more conducive of well, well-being. And, you know, we, we do. We do cling to these things. It's like to expect to kind of, say, to kind of think, okay, somebody's going to tell me, how can I not cling to these things? It's like our minds will do that. What we need to, to kind of have uh, in our toolkit is this curiosity of, like, okay, what's it like to cling to mudita? Oh, it's not feeling so good. You know, that the mind getting wrapped up in that idea somehow that I need to, need to have this quality or that I'm not okay if I don't have that quality. Often that's the feeling, you know. I'm failing, the practice is failing. I'm not doing it right. That's a lot of what, what happens. The clinging manifests in that way often as a sense of failure. Yeah. So just mostly an encouragement to kind of basically apply this same tool. Oh, this is what it's like to be clinging to a wholesome state. When it's obvious that you're clinging to the wholesome state, it's not so useful to jettison the, like, oh, I'm clinging to mudita, so I shouldn't want mudita, you know, when, if, if, or, you know, clinging to investigation. For me, that was a big one. I clung to investigation, you know, when I'm, you know, in the process or working with something that's so sticky, like self-hatred. Not so useful to say, well, I'm clinging to self, I'm clinging to uh, investigation, so I shouldn't investigate right now, then I'll just get sucked into the self-hatred. But there is a time when that habit of clinging will reveal itself as suffering. You know, that, that for me, that looking at the investigation and realizing how much clinging there was, there was, that, was a, that was a stretch of my practice, a couple of years of, of looking at that. And it's, you know, it's, it's painful to see it. But that's how the practice works. So it's not a mistake. It's, not, it's nothing you're doing wrong. It's the nature of our minds. And so, you know, when we can have that sense of, oh, this is just the nature of the mind that I'm seeing. The mind clings to things. Of course, it'll cling to these beautiful qualities having some kind of compassion for ourselves for that too. 
So it's time to stop.